0: Good morning. One of the uh, privilege of being a parent is uh, getting to experience things through your kids. Uh, my son, Ben, is uh, part of a musical at the moment. And uh, I noticed, I uh, <coughs> can get a picture up going, but uh, the... A director has a number of tools at his disposal to help you enjoy the musical, right? When a particular uh, point is being made, uh, there's the opportunity of employing additional tools to help that point to be brought forth. And and you may have experienced it in a a movie theater uh, as well. Uh, It's not just uh, the scene in front of you, but it could be the... uh, the background music, right, might change to help you realize, oh, this is a scary scene, oh, this is going to be a sad scene. Uh, the lighting might change in order to bring something out as well. And uh, we will see that today as uh, we look at uh, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus or the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, that uh, God uh, employs additional tools to help bring the point home, right? So you could. You could just watch Jesus die on the cross and, and think and appreciate it, but God uses additional tools, additional signs to really emphasize the point that he was making when Jesus died on the cross. So again, as the spectator are watching it, they may have different things going on in their mind as they were looking at Jesus being crucified and, and God uh, you know, helped them and it will help us this morning as we think about Jesus dying on the cross and the meaning uh, behind that uh, uh, really universe-changing event. With that, let's turn to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. So we've been uh, going through the book of Matthew chronologically. We're almost at the end. This is the second to last chapter, near the end of the chapter, and really looking in, in some way at the at the apex uh, of the gospel, looking at the death of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama zavachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, "Truly, this was the Son of God." And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph and Mary, and so, and the mother of Zebedee's son. Okay, so as I said, we see here uh, Jesus dying on the cross. And um, it says that uh, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. That's generally interpreted as being from uh, 12 p.m. or 12 noon to 3 p.m. So really the, uh, the uh, top of the day when the sun ought to be brightest. And yet we're told there was darkness over all the land. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, And then about the ninth hour, so this would be 3 p.m. in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, it says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama zavachthani, which is the Hebrew for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So first we want to make sure that we have a very clear in our own mind uh, the reason that God forsook Jesus, the reason that Jesus uh, was on the cross and died on the cross. And uh, we're given the answer in 1 Peter 2.24. We're told that uh, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Uh, the tree here refers to the cross. On the cross, the Bible tells us, Jesus bore our sins in his own body that's why jesus was on the cross isaiah 53 prophesies 700 years in advance about this event and it says but he jesus was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So I have sinned. I deserve to be punished because of my sins. But on the cross, God laid my sins on Jesus and he punished Jesus for my sins. And Uh, Part of that punishment wasn't just the physical suffering, but it was being separated from, uh, from God. My sins separate me from God. God's judgment against me, the wages of sin, we're told, is death. Death is separation from God. Yes, it does mean for my body to die as well, but it also speaks of the fact that I'm separated from God as a sinner, and I will be separated from him for all of eternity in the lake of fire because of my sins. Because my sins were laid on the Lord Jesus, he didn't just have to die physically for them, he had to be separated from God, right? He had to to die, if you would, spiritually, as well as physically, right? That is why God forsook Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Now uh, we understand that Jesus knew why He was dying on the cross. Uh, we celebrated this morning <coughs> uh, the Lord's Supper. and in the Lord's Supper, which happened less than 24 hours earlier, he told the disciples, "This is my body which is given for you. this is my blood which is shed for the remissions of, of, of the sins of many." He knew He was going to the cross to die for our sins, Two days later or three days later, after he was raised from the dead, he explains to uh, the two on the road to Emmaus why he had to die. Jesus knew why he was separated, and yet there's a depth to the experience of the cross that, that I think we just have a difficulty entering into. Jesus really experienced separation from God to the point that he cried out from his heart, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it speaks to us of the fact that that suffering was really the greater suffering. Not taking away from his physical suffering, David uh, walked us last week through the physical suffering of the Lord Jesus and there's like no words to describe it. It was so awful what Jesus went through. And yet, Jesus cried, the cry of Jesus' heart was being separated from his father. So much greater was his agony of experiencing separation from God, uh, that that is what he cried out about rather than his physical suffering. But we want to understand he did it for you and he did it for me. And, uh, and that's why we come here we, uh, weekly, as, as Howard reminded us this morning, to remember him in the Lord's Supper because his death on the cross was for you and for me. So that is the reason that we see here Unfortunately, confusion in the minds of the spectator. Verse 47 says, some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. So when they heard Jesus crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," meaning my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They somehow confused what he was saying, and they thought, this man is calling for Elijah, right? It's uh, Eli could be short for Elijah or Eliyahu, would be the Hebrew word. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for us to fathom, <clears throat> and yet we have to say people today, similarly, are confused about why Jesus died, right? Some of them uh, think he was just a, a, a helpless victim. He didn't want to die, right? He wanted to, to continue on and teach people good things and somehow. Uh, He was arrested and crucified against his will, right? That wasn't somehow he wanted to do. Some think, well, he just did it to somehow demonstrate how much God loves us. Well, it's true that his death on the cross showed us how much God loves us, but his death on the cross was necessary, right, in order to save us from our sins. So people today are also confused about it, and that's not God's will. He doesn't want people to be confused. He wants them to understand exactly what it was that Jesus did for them on the cross. And so we have here uh, five signs. Maybe you you could count differently and and find more, Uh, but at least five major signs uh, to help people understand what it is that Jesus was doing on the cross. So the first one, as we referred to, was uh, the darkness, have a picture of that. Of course, we don't really know just how dark it was. It's so dark, I can't even see it here. Uh, (laughs) But uh, so we don't know how dark it was. Uh, We know that it was um, not just clouds in the sky because it says that the sun was darkened. We know it wasn't an eclipse because the Passover is celebrated at the full moon and an eclipse happens in the new moon. So we can get rid of you know, the natural explanation and say this is God. Right? God chose to darken the sun, which resulted in darkness uh, over all the land. And we could try to think why God would darken the land. I, I was thinking uh, of at least a couple of things, but I imagine there could be more reasons uh, behind why God would bring the darkness. One was that... Um, People questioned who Jesus was. If you remember uh, last week, uh, the the religious leaders were mocking Jesus. Others were mocking Jesus. Said, "You know, if you really are the Son of God, come down from the cross." Right? They questioned who Jesus was, and uh, if Jesus came down from the cross to prove he was the Son of God, uh, we would all still be in our sins. So Jesus could not come down from the cross and save us at the same time. So I think it was one of God's way of showing this is my son. This is my son. creation itself was declaring this was the son of God being crucified with the darkness of all the land. Uh, the other is uh, we, rec- we associate dark and blackness with sadness and mourning. Uh, at least in most cultures, people wear black. Uh, maybe a veil. Uh, When it's dark outside, we tend to be, you know, maybe uh, more depressed, more frightened. Uh, So I think the darkness was to show that this was a terrible thing that was being done, right? God was not happy with it. Now, we have to be careful. (coughs) Obviously, in God's plan, this is a good thing, right? This would result in the salvation of everyone who believes. That's wonderful. But there was no pleasure in the suffering of his son. He did not think, it wasn't a good thing that people treated Jesus shamefully, that people crucified him, that Jesus was dying. It wasn't a good thing in itself. God had a good purpose for it. He was going to bring good out of it. But it was a sad event. And so God, uh, it says, darkened the sun. Literally reduced the amount of light available to people to see by. The, The second sign we see I took to be uh, Jesus' words themselves. In verse 50, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, we're told, (coughs) uh, we're given detail as to what he said. Luke 23, 46, uh, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So there's two things here. First, uh, his words. Uh, you would think, right, if, if the people watching Jesus were right, that Jesus was somehow misled, or that Jesus was a criminal, or that God did not really approve of Jesus and what Jesus was doing, you would expect Jesus to uh, lose his professed faith in God right, if he was really disappointed, right, and like, you know, God, you, didn't, you weren't here for me when, when I needed you. Uh, I expected you to, to save me from the cross so I wouldn't have to, to die. Uh, you wouldn't expect his words of faith. And yet Jesus clearly has confidence and faith in his Father. He says, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit. It's not the words of a criminal. Uh, it's not the words of a person who lost his faith in God. These are the words of a person who has confidence in God. And, and those words, and really throughout the crucifixion, if you look at Jesus' conduct, it doesn't fit a criminal. It doesn't fit an apostate or false teacher. It only fits Jesus as he claimed to be the Son of God. Only the Son of God would behave as Jesus behaved on the cross. And to add to it, the Bible says that he, in Matthew, he yielded up his spirit in Luke, he breathed his last. He had control over his death. I can't decide when I die. I mean, I guess I could jump in front of a train, right? And that will decide when I die. But if I, if I'm, if I was on the cross instead of Jesus, I would suffer until somehow my body reached a point where it could no longer function. And, and my heart or lungs or something would give up, and that's when I would die. But Jesus decided when he was going to die uh, one of his last words was it is finished he knew he was done paying for your sins and to my sins uh, he said i thirst before the person gave him the sour wine to fulfill prophecy right? he said the words uh, father into your hands i commit my spirit he expressed in, his confidence in god his work was done he was ready to go And uh, in John chapter 10, it says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again, this command I have received from my Father. Only God could decide when he was going to die, right? Only he had the power to just release his spirit and say, I'm done. done. Okay, the third sign is the veil of the temple. It says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar, in the temple, uh, you had uh, the holy place where the priests were ministering. Uh, There was uh, the, the candlestick with the lights. There was the the showbread, and there was the altar incense, and the priests would go there on a daily basis to, to, uh, to serve God in, in their capacity. And then there was this veil, this huge veil. Uh, I was told somewhere that it was a handbreadth thick. I mean, it was this thick. That's how thick the veil was. And you could see how large it was because it had to divide these two rooms in the temple. On the other side of the veil was the Ark of the Covenant where God said his presence was going to dwell. And so this veil, and this veil separated the priests from the presence of God uh, every day of the year, except for one day, the Day of Atonement. The, the high priest, one person, was allowed to come in with the blood of uh, atonement on the Day of Atonement, uh, and he would go in and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which was the cover of the ark. So who knows, maybe for just a few, a few minutes a year, one person <laughs> was allowed to enter the presence. And the picture was really the fact that God was holy. And, and, and we as people are not holy. And because of that, there was this divide that separated us from God. And so when Jesus died, God tore this veil in two to show that the barrier was removed. Now we had access to God. We could have a relationship with God. Uh, In Hebrews, it says it like this Hebrews 10 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Right? So, Jesus, in dying for us, created us this way so we could enter boldly. I can come. Boldly into, the, into God's presence because of the blood of Jesus shed for me. I know I have a, a place with God because of Jesus' death on the cross. Without it, I would have no access to God. With Jesus, I can enter boldly into this relationship, into fellowship with God. The fourth sign uh, is uh, the earthquakes. And I, I combined it with the rocks uh, being split uh, maybe some people would divide the two. Uh, rock splitting is one of the things that an earthquake can cause. And uh, <clears throat> this is a picture of, uh, of a ground. Uh, this one's actually in Ethiopia, but it's part of the Rift Valley that also goes through Israel, not many miles away from, uh, from Jerusalem. So certainly it's possible there was an earthquake associated with this fault. Or who knows, God could... Can make an earthquake where there's no fault, right? He doesn't, doesn't not limited to where he can create it. Uh, but earthquakes are a scary thing. I remember my first earthquake that I experienced was uh, uh, riding my um, rollerblades, or maybe it was roller skates, uh, to school, during summer school uh, in in uh, high school, and um, and it felt like something funny was happening. You know, it was noisy, like a big truck was going by me. Uh, you know, I felt a little unsteady but I was on my skates, so it wasn't as obvious as if I was, would have been walking uh, cars came to a stop and I saw people running out of their houses in their pajamas and uh, people were scared right, nobody got hurt there, I think there was one person who died uh, from that earthquake not near where I was um, but earthquakes are a scary thing, when we feel the earthquake, uh, we fear and uh, and the Bible does describe earthquakes as sometime being God's judgment. Uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, earthquakes are mentioned six times as, as part of God's judgment on the world in the last days. Uh, Ezekiel has quite a description of an earthquake. I, I am guessing this would be the one that God brings at the very end of that, uh, of that period of tribulation. But uh, it says in Ezekiel 38, and it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So that's really describing a great earthquake at the end of of this world, if you would. Uh, but in in uh, where we're studying in during Jesus' crucifixion, it wasn't as powerful of an earthquake but still something that doubtlessly would have filled people's hearts with fear and fear of God's judgment, which could be related to the fact of what they just did to Jesus, right? These people may have to some extent been involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. Their religious leaders certainly were guilty. If they were still there, uh, the Roman uh, gods would have been guilty, sharing in the guilt. Uh, so they had reason to fear. They have crucified the Son of God. Uh, The truth is we are all guilty. Uh, Some would say we're all guilty of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus because he was uh, crucified by the direction of the religious leaders and the political leaders of the day. They were, in a sense, a representation of humanity. Uh, That's what they thought should happen to the Son of God. So by association, we're all guilty of that. And if you don't recognize that, you would recognize many sins in your life that you deserve God's judgment for. And so uh, it is right of God to warn us of judgment. It is faithful of God to warn us of judgment. And uh, this earthquake surely would have been something to wake up um, people to the reality of God's coming judgment. Okay, the fifth sign um, that I, I selected in the passage is the opening of the graves, um, some would associate this with the earthquake as well <clears throat> it could be that as a result of the earthquake uh, uh, tombstones uh, could have rolled and exposed the uh, sepulchres, sepulchre, sepulchres or tombs that uh, people have built into uh, the mountain at the side of, uh, near Jerusalem That's, this is Uh, the kind of place Jesus would have been buried at. Of course, Jesus was not buried yet, but uh, there were many other people buried in in tombs like that, and the earthquake could have rolled away uh, stones or potentially could have cracked them. We know that rocks were split, so it could be some of those just broke open altogether. Uh, Again, we know this is not a natural event, and one of the proofs for that is uh, people came out of the tombs, dead people, (laughs) Now, they didn't come out yet. That only happened after Jesus himself was raised from the dead, which would not happen till Sunday. It's Friday when this passage was. It wouldn't be till Sunday that the bodies would come out. But it's evidenced, again, this is not a natural earthquake. This is not a natural event. This is God's supernatural working to help people recognize the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. And uh, this one, obviously, is a picture of Jesus... Uh, uh, victory over death. Right? That's, that's what this represents. In Hosea 13 uh, 14, it says, I will ransom their, them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your distraction. Death is uh, the consequence of sin. We all deserve to die because of our sins. Because Jesus died for our sins. We no longer have to die. Now, some of us will never die, uh, or at least some of the, among the church will never die because Jesus will come while we're still in our bodies and we will be caught up to him in heaven. We'll never have to experience death. And we all hope that this will be our own experience. But if it so happens that my body will die, my spirit goes to be with the Lord. I'm not going to be stuck in the grave, and one day God will raise my body uh, from the dead. So, so certainly what Jesus did on the cross was a victory over the grave, right? We no longer have to fear death. So yeah, those were the, the, the five signs. Uh, there was the darkness. There was Jesus' words or, or conduct. Uh, the veil was torn uh, from top to bottom. The earthquakes, the rocks were split, and the, the graves were open, and the dead came out of it. All of this was to help people understand Jesus was not you know, a helpless victim. He somehow got caught uh, and died unwillingly. Uh, he was not a criminal. Uh, he was not a fake prophet. He was the Son of God, and on the cross he died for your sins and for my sins. Praise the Lord. Uh, We see in this passage that there was an impact on the spectators. Uh, We're told in verse 54 uh, that the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened they feared greatly saying truly this was the Son of God. So that was their conclusion. These are uh, professional um, executors. Their job was to kill people. They knew how people died, they looked at Jesus' death and said, this is the Son of God, right? Nobody dies like this. Nobody has the sun darkened, earthquake, speaks as he does, uh, you know, have have graves open. This must be who he said he was. This is the Son of God. Uh, In uh, the Gospel of Luke, we're told in uh, chapter 23, Verse 47 So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. So it wasn't just the uh, Roman centurion and the guards, it was the whole crowd that uh, was affected by these signs. Uh, beating the breast seems to be associating with uh, an acknowledgement of guilt. If you remember in um, uh, the parable of the, the tax collector and the Pharisee going to God to pray, it says that the uh, tax collector was beating his breast, not even looking to God, saying, Have mercy to me, or on me, the sinner. So we would understand that the whole crowd was now joined with that. Have mercy on us. right? You know, we have sinned in what we have done here. So that's wonderful uh, because that would prepare them for the next event, which is Jesus rising from the dead and then the gospel being preached and thousands being saved right within days of this event. And we recognize this was, again, the impact of of the crucifixion and the accompanying signs. They had an impact on those who were there. Then finally we see... uh, the women who followed Jesus in verse, 50, verse 55 says, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were looking on uh, from afar. So we, we noticed these, these were women. Uh, the men all ran away you know, to, to their shame. We we're told in the Gospel of John that uh, John, the, the disciple of Jesus, was an exception, and he did stick around. But uh, the women are given credit here and in other places as uh, being willing to, to, to stand and uh, to serve the Lord when the men were failing him. Uh, I could you know, suppose that maybe the men felt they were in greater danger. Sometimes men might be arrested before women are, but uh, certainly they would have been in danger too if the men were. And uh, in the case of the men, we really see what seems to be a certain loss of faith. Um, The two that were walking on the road to Emmaus said, we were hoping this was going to be the Messiah, but obviously he couldn't be because he, he was crucified, right? Whereas the women do not lose their faith in Jesus. The fact that they're there watching on, and then later wanting to honor Jesus in burial. Remember, they were the ones who, who bought the, uh, the anointing oil and things to, to give Jesus a proper a burial service. It shows that their faith in Jesus was still holding. They didn't believe that uh, he was a false prophet or a false messiah. They still believed in him, even though uh, he was on the cross. I, I'm sure they were confused, right, because... The Jews expected the Messiah to be uh, this great political leader (coughs) that would overthrow the Romans and rule the world. We know one day Jesus will be sitting on the throne of this world. So it's hard to imagine but that the women were themselves confused, but their faith did not forsake them. They still uh, felt devotion to the Lord uh, during this time, And, and they honored him by sticking with him as close as they could and and watching him uh, from afar. And I was thinking, uh, what an example for us today. Today, during the breaking of bread, we were in a sense beholding the Lord from afar. We were not looking from the distance of space, but from the distance of time. We're looking back on the Lord Jesus on the cross. And uh, through the eyes of faith, we recognize that what he did on the cross was to the glory of God, right? The, the women were confused then. We don't have to be confused today when we look at Jesus. We can appreciate him uh, for what he did. The, uh, this hymn written by uh, Miss C. Uh, Thompson captures this thought uh, called Gazing on the Lord in Glory While Our Hearts in Worship bow. There we read the wondrous story of the cross, its shame and woe. We're looking on the Lord in glory on the cross. Every mark of dark dishonor heaped upon the thorn-crowned brow, all the depth of thy heart's sorrow told in answering glory now. On that cross alone forsaken, where no pitying eye was found, now to God right's hand exalted. With thy praise the heavens resound. Did thy God even then forsake thee? Hide his face from thy deep need? In thy face, once marred and smitten, all his glory now we read. Gazing on it, we adore thee. Blessed, precious, holy Lord, thou the Lamb alone art worthy. This be earth and heaven's accord. So, so we, we'll, we look back at that event, the cross, which uh, seems like the most terrible event in history, and we draw worship out of it. We realize by looking on the cross how much it was that God loved us and what it was that God did uh, to provide for us. And uh, it, it really separates uh, Christianity, or I should say the truth, from all the world's religion, which I would call lies, because... This is the only religion or faith or message where we look upon God's death uh, and seeing it God's glory, right? You're not going to find that in Islam or any other uh, religion, but it's because God did the work of salvation. It's not us that need to impress God. It's not us that need to somehow make ourselves as gods, but it is that God came down to earth and he did the work of salvation for you and for me and allows us to worship him, to appreciate him, to thank him, to remember him uh, uh, for, for now and, and for the rest of eternity. What application uh, can we take from the message? Uh, one, we don't want to miss the message of the cross. It was so important to God. He made it so clear to the people of that time and to the people today. So don't miss the message of the cross that God loves you and he sent his son to die for you and uh, second uh, we have an opportunity today as i was just sharing to uh to join the women at at the cross to look at the lord and appreciate him uh, for what he did for us lord jesus we thank you uh for the cross uh it's true that uh eye has not seen ear has not heard nor has it entered into the mind of men the things which god had prepared for those who love him and we see that in the cross no one could have imagined the cross uh, before it happened no one could have imagined that you would come into this world and give your life uh, for sinners and yet we see it's true lord you make it so plain you make it so clear to us today we pray for any who do not understand that message if you open their eyes to see this truth and for us who do understand the message we pray that it will never grow old that we will never cease to appreciate that if jesus is god and he died for me then nothing that i can do for him is too much lord so let us live our lives we ask in your name amen